All right, welcome to Crossing Broadcast. I am Kyle Scott, your host. I'm joined, as always, for the first time uh, by Adam Lefko and Russell Joy. What's going on, guys? Hey. Kyle, you sound energetic. I'm excited. It's the first one. And like I said, Russell's wearing a tie, and it's 6 in the morning, and I'm really proud of him. Good morning, everybody. It is fantastic. It is a joy to be with both of you. As always, I slept a good four and a half hours max last night because my kid forgot how to sleep. And so we're doing this as we will every Monday, Wednesday and Friday at 6 a.m. Shows should be posted by seven. I guess we should off the top a little bit about each of ourselves for for people who are new or don't know. Um, like I said, I'm Kyle Scott. I run CrossingBroad.com. I'm guessing if you're listening to the first episode, you've probably found it through the website. Uh, so I don't know how much more I could say other than I've been running Crossing Broad for seven years, and this podcast will uh, hit on a lot of the sorts of topics we talk about on the website and also go a little bit deeper on recent events and stuff. Adam? Awesome. Uh, I am a host at Bleacher Report. I've been there now for about three and a half years, uh, mainly focusing on NFL and NBA on a national scale, but... I mean, I'm from the Philadelphia area. I'm from Bucks County, Holland, Pennsylvania, to be exact. Went to Council Rock and then Abington Friends. Uh, well, I'm more like the traditional TV guy. I was a t- I was a TV news reporter in Nebraska. I was a sports anchor in Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, all I really give a shit about is Philadelphia sports, and that is the very truth. And much like you guys, I think it's it's time for a little bit of waves to hit the Philadelphia market. I'm hoping that we could be that group that does it. Russ? And, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm from Pottsville, the uh, home of the, the true 1925 NFL champion Pottsville Maroons. Get them. Um, and, you know, um, I didn't exactly grow up in the Philly market, but uh, I was a big Philly fan up there. And uh, there's a lot of Philly fans up there, in all honesty. Um, and I, I've been a big fan of, uh, you know, trying to follow these teams through um, Philly radio. And I've found myself disinterested in the stuff that's been going on, especially in the last year and a half or so. And so when the opportunity to work on this podcast came up, I, I jumped all over it. Um, and my hope is that for the people out there who have also become disaffected and dis, uh, disinterested in, in what the Philly market um, for sports radio sounds like, that you're going to give this a shot, and um, I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be, um, you know, a good way for you to spend your commute, spend a time going to class uh, at the gym. So hopefully, um, hopefully you like I it. I think it's worth mentioning that you are a teacher, and you have to go win over hearts and minds after you're done this every morning. And you're currently wearing a tie. Yeah, I'm proud of. You know what? Somebody's somebody's got to look good educating the future of this bright nation. Do your students yeah. know you're doing this? Because I, I think that's important because I think it, Adam is in the business. I am uh, sort of like carved out my own niche and you are coming at it from the fan perspective. Do you do you, people you work with and kids know you're doing this? I don't know if they do. I'm sure at some point <laughs> they'll figure it out, out or they'll find <laughs> out. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, you know. I, th- these are like the kind of conversations I have with with my colleagues most days anyway. Uh, over lunch is the uh, the poor state of Philadelphia sports. So, well, you know, I think it'll be school. great. Like after, like the Monday after an Eagles game, when Russell gets to talk to like when the kid comes and goes, I hate. 
uh, Doug Peterson that he could have some good quotes, random. Uh, not, I don't even know if that's allowed, but I want it so bad. I just want kid time with Russell. I want it to be a segment so bad. You want me to be like the uh, what was his name? Bill Beck, the the guy who uh, he's on SNL now. He used to do the AT and T commercials. Yes, the, just the sitting kids around the, the table. round table of and kids just, talking yep. about Howie Roseman's draft selections. You know what? Maybe we'll, we'll do a live <laughs> yeah, show. That we'll would do a be live something. show from the school. Yes, they're going to be smarter from, than us. Live from Joy's desk. It's round table time with the children. I'm anyway, done. so this show, uh, it will run three times per week to start. Uh, we would eventually like to get to daily. We're going to give it a try three days a week over the summer while it's a little slower. Maybe once football season rolls around, we'll pick it up, depending on how things go. Uh, it should be posted around 7 a.m. on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And like the guy said, our goal is to become part of the daily sports conversation in a way that was previously only reserved for sports talk radio. We're going to talk about recent events uh, but we're also going to talk about stuff that's a little bit more in-depth. Uh, we're not here to be NPR, but I don't think we're going to be WIP either. I think there's a happy medium, and we could hit on some smart topics but have some fun at the same time. So uh, if you're listening now, if you haven't already, subscribe to the show on iTunes or Google Play or wherever else you listen to podcasts. I think it's coming soon in Stitcher. I don't know why that's taking so long, uh, but we are live in the major guys. And please, especially in iTunes, feel free to leave us a review, preferably five stars. Uh, that actually helps us get ranked. And let's see if we can crack the new and noteworthy within the first uh, week or two. Uh, guys, let's move on here. Let's get into our first segment. Let's talk about the, the NFL draft. We'll go full sports talk radio. Let's see if we could distill three months of draft talk into, may, into maybe 11 minutes uh, first things first, the draft is in Philly. None of us are actually in Philly at the moment or live in Philly, uh, but the draft is here. It's, it's very exciting. I, I don't like all the hype for the draft, but it, I do enjoy the event itself, and I think it's another cool, uh, cool feather in Philly's cap to get a big event like this, of course, on the parkway, because everything in Philly is on the goddamn parkway. We have nowhere else to put anything, so we put it in the longest, narrowest street, so about 200 people can see whatever the stage is, and then everyone else is just part of a carnival. Uh, that's every event here. A big Philly event, of course, means cheesesteaks and Rocky montages. Doing it on the Rocky Steps uh, is going to make the world think we do nothing else or have accomplished nothing here or nothing was ever filmed here. And some night, M. M Night Shyamalan is just like, I just filmed Split at 30th Street Station. Give me some love, too. Um, how are you guys feeling about the, uh, about the draft here in Philly on the parkway, as usual? And how many cheesesteak montages can we expect? For me, it's been weird um, because so like I, I've had a ton of people text me in the business being like, where should I eat? Where should I eat? Which cheesesteak place should I go to? Uh, which goes to what you're saying about the cheesesteak montages. I tell them gyms. I'll tell some of them Ishka Bibbles. That's because I refuse to tell people Pats and Geno's. But the other part that's weird is I've had multiple people like in a demeaning way, almost go, you know, this is actually good for Philadelphia. And I'm like, one, you don't live in Philadelphia Two, Like, I don't understand why major top 10 cities are like, you know what? This is good for our city. This is good for branding. This is good for like, I don't think anybody's like, you know what? Philadelphia has been having it rough lately. They really need a big event to just spruce up morale. That's been the weird thing for me is people, the whole, is it good or bad for the city? I always think that these events are rough for the city just because 
no one in years in the future will realize that it was in Philadelphia. I don't, I'm very curious to see how they use the art museum just because it looks like it's completely covered up. But in years from now, it's just going to be zoomed in bro hugging with Roger Goodell. So uh, I'm excited for the draft itself because I think the Eagles will have a great chance of getting someone really good at 14. The event itself, I'm just skeptical on how much real impact it will have for the city. Like I think some people thought it would when they first well, never mind, never mind that the columns are fake, which I, I didn't know this until last night. Like they incorporated the steps into the setup, but for whatever reason, they decided to not push it back closer to the building and they constructed fake Vegas style columns behind the stage. Like if you're going to do it at the art museum, do it with the damn columns. But I, I'm with you in that Philly treats every event we get like, oh, God, now the world's going to recognize us. And, like, at a certain point, we just had the, the DNC here. The Pope was here. It's like, hey, we're we're a top five market in the country. Maybe we don't have to, like, like act like the little engine that could every time we get an event. Uh, Russ, what are your thoughts quickly? It, it's kind of part of the Philly mentality, though, isn't it? It's It's always the need to to justify why something has finally come to us that's supposed to, you know, it's like the idea of like, we can't have nice things. And we're so used to that with our, with our sports teams recently that, you know, we can't have anything nice. And so whenever one of these kind of events pops up, it's like, oh man, were we worthy in the first place? And so, I mean, I, you know, the, from the global perspective, the doing it on the parkway kind of reminds me of what the fan mile in, in Berlin, Germany looks like at the Brandenburg gate when they do public viewing during the world cup. They just they just pack it like sardines for the better part of a, a half mile. Um, it's almost like being in the the upstairs part of a club, and it's just you have no personal space. But like, it looks exactly the same to me, or at least it's the same idea. So uh, kudos to whoever kind of you know planned this one out. But uh, I don't know what kind of impact it'll have on the city, and and really from a national perspective, I don't think it changes anything. It's just um, just like I don't think it really would change anything, you know, in in Chicago or anywhere else. It's it's just cool to say that you had the draft in Philly. But I do like the fact that they're paying homage to the art museum. But I really do wish they would have just done it at the top of the steps. I mean, I guess you have to plan the event in case it rains. And maybe the lighting would be too complicated. But, you know, the idea of having somebody walk up the the last set of stairs to, to meet Goodell at the top or to come out from the side and really have the, the art museum as the backdrop would be you know, preferable. I, I was a little bit confused on that, but I think it's a logistics issue. Yeah, I mean, I agree, but... Uh, I was going to yeah. say, Kyle, I was going to say, man, really, in the end, Philadelphia will not be judged by the appearance of the set. Philadelphia will be judged, as we always fucking are, by how we react when the guy that we draft is selected at 14. <laughs> because right beforehand, Trey Wingo and Rich Eisen are going to be sitting there going, all right, it's in Philly. We've seen how they react before. Show Donovan getting booed. And then it's going to be like, let's see how they handle this one. I'm with you. I just, I just feel like, and ultimately, we're going to get judged on. Uh, were, were there any fights? Uh, d- did anyone get killed? Were there e- egregiously long uh, wait times and traffic? Whatever. It's going to be that sort of thing, and we'll feel good about it after the weekend. I just think that, like Russ said, they had the perfect metaphor where a guy gets drafted into the National Football League, and he could do the rocky climb. 
and they're doing it on the steps, yeah. and they have them going down the steps with fake columns. I feel like they built an entire stage on the steps. They could have figured out a way to, to keep the metaphor going. But uh, one other thing about the draft coverage itself, ESPN, I, this is like the second year in a row, I guess they've done this, and I think the NFL Network is doing it too. They put the ban on their own reporters tweeting picks. Uh, how do you guys feel about this? I go back and forth. Uh, I guess I get it. It's an entertainment event. But at the same time, it's like if your event is built around telling half of your people that they really can't do their job, maybe like rethink the way you sh- the event is actually structured. This is the annual year where people follow Jason Locke and Fora and then often unfollow him afterwards. <laughs> he is the CBS reporter for the NFL. He traditionally has been breaking them about five minutes earlier uh, than everybody else. I know that when we're doing our live show on Facebook Live, we go off of the tweets, and the tweets do come off, and they're non-ESPN NFL Network, and we we see early on who's more accurate, and we go off there. I am actually someone that subscribes to the nostalgia way of watching shit like this, of just letting it play. And I try not to cheat on Twitter because I like to see the announcement. But Berman was always the guy when he would do this where he would go, you know, I'm thinking the Eagles might go corner here. We'll see if they do. And they select a quarter and you go, okay, so you knew the entire time. I'm okay with it not being broken. Shocking. Um, He's no longer a part of the I think that we can all wait yeah well yeah i'm sure well they've been slowly laying him down for the last two years and now it's finally reached his resting place as a non-draft guy um but yeah i'm actually okay with it i i i think it to me it's like is it really breaking news if it's happening two minutes later i don't know i i still have nightmares of the draft when uh i think it went they cut to Schefter right before the eagles pick and he, and he said, said and, he, and they, they traded up and he, and he said, uh, it's clear that the Eagles are, are targeting Earl Thomas. They're going to take Earl Thomas. And then they called out Brandon Graham and Brandon Graham is, you know, he's been a late bloomer and, and yeah, he's, he's, been he's, good. You know, he's a, he's a good player now, but man, that moment will live in infamy for me. So like if, if that is a way to avoid the heartache and the heartbreak that, that I felt that night, then by all means, ESPN, you do you. All right, so some of the news heading into the draft. We're doing this on Wednesday morning. Uh, is this is this like the worst week for potential draft picks, especially high round draft no. picks? Well, okay, no. well, some of them. Because, no. Okay, why? Yeah, read them off. Read these okay, off. Okay, so you, you got your Bill Preppers, uh, Reuben Foster, both with diluted samples, which is kind of absurd. And I think they both went with the we drank a lot of water defense, which is which is interesting. And I want to get your take on. And then you got Gary and Conley uh, accused of more or less rape. Um, now, he vehemently denies it. Uh, the details do and he has not been fair, charged. Totally fair. But all these things, whether they're legit or not, you had the Laramie, Laramie Tunsil bong mask thing last year. Whether they're legit or, or not, they cost these guys millions of dollars. And I feel like if you're a, a draft pick, and this goes for the NBA or two, you know, because these are big, big events where you are slotted where you're picked. It, determines your the trajectory of your career earnings and you have every skeleton in your closet every chick you ever wronged every dude you ever got in a fight with who may have something on you you got to worry about that person crawling out of the woodwork like like now like like 36 hours before the event 
Yes. So the reason that I said no immediately is I think that this is becoming the the week of the year when everything gets dumped on. If you remember last year, Reggie Ranglund all of a sudden had a heart issue the day of the draft. And the problem is, is these NFL teams, even though they do 6,000 hours of preparation, when news happens the day of, they go, honestly, we have too much stuff to worry about right now. Just take the dude off the board. We're not going to draft him. Uh, Dalvin Cook, MMQB, just did an article about him, about how there's actually another agent runner that's spreading around bad news to hurt him and help other people. And the reason I said no right away is I look at this news and this week sort of like ACLs in the first week of training camp, where every year two or three stars go down, a Keenan Allen, a someone else, and we all look at each other and go, man, ACL injuries are on the rise. It's This is an epidemic. I just think every year that we forget last year was the epitome Laramie Tunsil on the draft gas mask smoking weed got out while the draft was going on and I remember hearing the story of Ozzie Newsome and the Baltimore Ravens and it was we just can't draft him. He, we know he's number one on our board. We cannot draft him because we don't have enough time in our 15-minute window to do enough research. And I think it's becoming – it's very interesting to me. I always look at the motive of why a story comes out. For all of these stories to come out of these guys with no charges the week of the draft, why are they coming out? And I don't always think it's because they were bad that week People are now saving this news to hurt the draft stock and hurt the, per- the, 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 the wallet of these guys when it happens and put them in an interesting situation. And then it turns into which NFL teams are going to care. Uh, it's, it's a very precarious situation for the NFL because their, their efforts for domestic violence, their efforts for off the field being as important as on the field. And these teams, they do all these hours. And then at the very end, it's all torn up. Well, it's that's crazy. why. I feel like it's got to be the most stressful week for these guys. Like, that was my point. Like, these guys, you don't know what's yes. coming. No. Yeah, and, and I mean, this This also comes back to why it is so important, especially at, at the youth level, through high school, through college, that coaches continue to reinforce the point to their players that if you are looking to go pro, you've got to stay clean, at least until you get drafted. And especially, I think the thing that, that angers me the most is – yeah, like this this very likely could become the new dumping ground and it could be agents and and their agencies messing with other agencies and other players to try to get their guys elevated, which would be the nastiest dirtiest thing I think you could possibly do to a young kid trying to go pro. But if you're a player and you know that there is a good chance that you're going to be drafted, you've got to stay clean for the the months leading up to the draft. There is no excuse. Now the the allegations against Conley are, are one thing um, where it's like, why would you put yourself in that kind of situation? Like, regardless of whether the the accusations made against you are valid or not, why are you putting yourself in a potential situation where there could be an accusation it, made? If he was even it's in like, that situation. Stay home. What was his, yeah, that that's the thing is we don't know. Like, it's it's so hard. Like, like the Joe Mixon one. So Joe Mixon, we saw hit a girl. Like that happened, okay? But last week, the father of a girl from high school came out of nowhere. And by the way, 
it may have happened there too. And now people are like, oh man, but we have no evidence. We have no idea. And yet we're taking the character witness of a guy that we've never heard before over a kid in Joe Mixon who, look, we saw what happened there. It's it's crazy. And I also want to say this about the diluted sample. How is having too much water in your urine a dead set giveaway that you smoked weed? What do we tell athletes to do before they work out? Drink water. What do we do? What do we tell them before they go on a flight? Drink water. Like there's gotta be another way to test for alcohol for for weed that's not, you know. We think you're hiding it because you had too much water. Okay, well then why don't we wait like six hours and let me pee again? What like I, I don't understand how that's the rule because as an athlete, if I was getting ready, I'm drinking a hell of a lot of water. It just it, it seems like such a stupid test for such to go in the drug problem mean program in the NFL, one, you're gonna get probably taken around later, and two, you're having to take drug tests every week. You can't go on vacation. They got to, you got to fly to wherever they are and take that drug test. It's you're, you're changing someone's trajectory. Like you said, Kyle, because of something that I think is antiquated. But see, this is also something where the sins of the past and past players in the NFL and perception issues they have, have led fans and have led the media to go after players with the, the mantra that they're guilty until proven innocent. And it speaks exactly to your point about the diluted sample. Like there, there is no guarantee that, Anything was trying to be hidden at that point. But, you know, we, we live in this, this you know, uh, 24-hour news cycle where somebody has to be guilty and, and there has to be a scandal. And if there's not, it's like we're going to explode. So it, it is a shame. To, to the- I know how I battle. I was just going to say, I know how I would draft Joe Mixon. I know it. If I draft, the Eagles took Joe Mixon in the second round. You set up. You set a press conference immediately, so that all the media has to leave and come to you immediately. And you go, all right. Here's the deal. We have already spoken with Joe Mixon. We have already spoken with three different uh, like uh, groups around the city in terms of dealing with battered women. Joe will be leading the forefront of going and speaking to these facilities. We will be sending him to schools and speaking with children. He will own that moment, and we will che- take this as a learning lesson. We believe that he's a good person. He's going to go around there, and he's going to speak to the youth of our, of our area, and he's going to speak to women, and he's going to atone for what happened, and he's going to be a leader in this space and then there you go you 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 that's what everyone says they want and you give them what they want now the video is going to be on six three and ten and comcast Sportsnet for all day for a for a week but you get ahead of it and that's to go what russell was saying the past is the past and you can't change it but this is the moment where you set the future and if you want to get past it you got to be so that was going to be my next question where is your um i guess you kind of gave it to me but where is your moral compass on this as a fan more so on mixing and this is something that's been debated around here for for months before it was even a possibility and now it sounds like the eagles taking him in the second round is but russ i'd be interested to get your take you know as someone who who teaches the hearts and minds of America. Like for me, I've all, look, doing this now for seven years and digging, uh, my thing is digging through the weeds, going in the sewers, finding the shit. I've, not that all of these guys 
are bad dudes by any stretch. Most of them aren't. Most of them, and Adam, you could probably, you know, you speak to, to certainly more athletes. You could probably state this more clearly than I can, but most of these guys are more impressive than you would expect from them from what you see on the field and here in the locker room. But I've kind of come to the, the realization as a fan that, like, there's a good chance that my favorite player is a jerk or has something in his closet. And I'm not – I think Mixon is a crumb. I don't think there's an excuse for what he did. I'm not sure – you cannot do that again, but I'm not sure you could be necessarily rehabilitated from something like that, popping a chick like that. I, like, There is no way I could bring myself to – to buy his products, wear his jersey, want my kid to support him. I think that changes your calculus on this stuff too. But at the same time, it's like, it's not going to, I'm not going to be one of those guys who's going to say, well, I'm going to walk away from the Eagles because they, they signed a crumb. You have to detach yourself from that when you're rooting for a team because it would make it almost impossible to be a sports fan if you went solely for guys that you really liked. Otherwise, it's best yes. to just play fantasy football. I mean, this is, and this is a tangent, and I'll leave it here, but I think one of the interesting things with 2008 Phillies and that club, not that they were all nice guys, not that they didn't all have, you know, their bad moments, but generally speaking, a lot of the like there were there were all those guys were decent human beings. They weren't criminals. They really stayed out of the shit. And and Philly had a team you could kind of feel good about liking, even if you met the guy at a bar and realized he was a jerk off. But um, that's where I stand on this sort of thing. I'd be Russ. I'd be interested to get your take here. I I don't want any guy who lays his hands on a woman. And maybe I'm old school in this, but I I can't support it. That's uh, not old well, school or new school, you know, Russ. Yeah, That's well, just the right school. Like I I just I I can't I won't be able to bring myself to root for the guy. And and yeah, like look, we we always preach second chances and and preach that you know it's it's important to you know take the the worst moments in your life and learn from them, and you know try to rehabilitate yourself. Like I, I feel like we spend so much time with Mike Vick doing that after the you know the dog fighting and and signing him and the protests outside of Novacare, but. Th- this is different. And, and yeah, a guy might have some skeletons in his closet, but you know, for better or worse. And again, this 24 hour news cycle, there is a video of him punching uh, a young woman and, and I don't want him. And if they draft him, it's not like I'm going to boycott the team, but I'm not going to be happy about it. Um, you know, you have a drug offense, like rehabilitation is an issue in this country. Like that's something that I think you can, you can definitely like what Adam was saying before about, having somebody go out and work in the community and, and talk to kids and, you know, go to centers and, and lead for, at the forefront of a, of an issue. You know, I think that drug use or rehabilitation, like that's the kind of thing that I don't think is just paying lip service. I think taking, taking Mixon and, and, you know, taking him to battered women's centers and, and having him talk to people like, I, to me, that just sounds like lip service. And I don't know how genuine it is. And I don't think I'll ever actually believe it. I think I would always be skeptical. And so for better or worse, like in his case, I, I can't look the other way on what he did. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm ready to move on. I think the, the only thing it, it's tough for the NFL too. like, they didn't invite anyone that had any of that in their past to the combine. And I actually think they were doing those guys a favor. The combine is a place where you have to stand in front of the media and atone for your actions. You got to talk to all the coaches and answer all those questions. So the NFL is figuring this out. Like they don't even know what to do. I'm going to be honest. Tyree kill was one of my favorite players to watch last year. And I know that he punched his pregnant girlfriend. 
Like, I know that was in the past. And I'm sitting there in this moral ambiguity where it's like I'm trying to cover the league and I'm very impressed at the athletic abilities of a player. But at the same point, I'm very torn that as a human, I think you're a piece of shit. And I think that's where I am right now. And all I ask for to make everyone just the NFL should make them do extended community service. So like, you know, when you see like the NBA cares and like Thaddeus young is like reading a book to a, like a classroom. Like I just need Joe Mixon doing a shitload of community service, like something to where I'm like, he's doing something to atone for this because I am not the, the, the judge and the jury. I just know that I like football and then I also hate people punching women. That's my stuff. Real quick. So where does that um, where does that leave the Eagles? I went through 77 mocks uh, yesterday. Yeah. And look, some of these were dating back to January. So I'm not trying to pat myself. Most of them were aggregated elsewhere. I just ran the numbers. 53% had the Eagles taking a cornerback out of those 77. The mode, I guess the most repeated name, would that be the mode? Um was Conley, I think 10 mocks had the Eagles taking him. Most of those pretty recent. Um, where does that leave the Eagles? Maybe Mixon's a second round target. If there's no way they take Conley and Mixon, unless some like absolute blanket Conley had nothing to do with this comes out over the next 36 hours. Where do you guys want them to go? I am not an NFL draft prospect guy. I make no bones about this. But I have heard from from my guy who's been pretty darn good with Eagles stuff this offseason that they've been looking at a defensive end pretty much all along in this process. And the, the name I'm hearing most often uh, is Charles Harris. It seems like that would disappoint a lot of people. I get the sense I wouldn't be shocked if the Eagles traded back a few spots and got Harris. Um, that's where I stand. I don't like... I don't think their team right now that needs to add a wide receiver in the first round. We've seen in previous drafts with previous teams, building from the outside in never works. And as much as I like the idea of Christian McCaffrey and wouldn't be upset if they drafted him by any stretch, they're not there now. And running backs have shuts such short lifespans. And it seems like every season there are two or three guys who come out of nowhere fall out of a tree more or less and can be a top five rusher in the league for the span of two seasons and then disappear. I think you could always get a running back later. I don't think you need to go. Uh, I prefer them going from the inside out. I'd be interested to get your thoughts. Uh, but start with you, Russ. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not a big draft prospect guy. And I know that there is a, a part of me, like a, a teen version of me from 15 years ago that is going to be devastated to hear this. But I actually want them to draft a lineman, an offensive lineman. And the best tackle on the board, from what I gather, is Cam Robinson. Um, I, I think the offensive line is something that's been overlooked for too long. And I think trying to go into another season relying on Jason Peters, who led the league in false start penalties last year, and Lane Johnson, who's one more suspension away from being out for a year, um, is way too tenuous of a situation um, to overlook. So I, I want the best tackle on the board. That's me. I know they won't do it, but I think going forward, getting somebody in there to build experience and actually get some uh, some continuity for Carson Wentz, not only as at the weapons standpoint, but also just getting used to blocking for the guy and, and blocking for him for the next 10 to 15 years is is of utmost importance to me. 
All right, guys, cue your uh, sports talk radio because we've got ourselves a disagreement. Uh, I definitely don't want an offensive lineman. So I went through, uh, I am a draft prospect guy. I have, if you guys want to see, I literally have portfolios on portfolios of stuff that I need for draft prep for all this stuff. So it's actually part of my. Yeah, no, I just, I literally have portfolios of tabs and. So much stuff. Um, I went through the Eagles roster, and the good thing about having a lot of injuries is guys like Isaac Samuelo, Stefan Wisniewski, Matt Tobin, Halapuli Vaiti Vaitai got a lot of reps last year, and none of those guys are starters next year. So right now with Peters, Barber, Kelsey, Brooks, Lane Johnson, now you have four guys behind them with a lot of depth, and a lot of those guys have rotated. I completely agree, though. Peters is like 35 years old. He's got about a year or two left, maybe even like six games left, to be frank of being at a high level. The problem is, is that I don't see any of these offensive linemen really being good, like being worth the 14th pick. It's the worst offensive lineman draft in a really, really long time. And that scares me. Um, I went through and I went, who would be the guys that I would want? And I came up with like 13 guys that weren't quarterbacks or cornerbacks. We are going to get somebody that should be very good. I think Charles Harris would be a very good pick only because if you look at the depth of the defensive line, it's awful. Like I, Chris Long and Timmy Jernigan were not just good pickups. They were necessary because with Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham and Vinnie Curry, you got five guys on the D line. That's it. Bo Allen with his injury. I I don't have a ton of faith in Steven means and Marcus Smith and Alex McAllister. So they definitely do need another guy in that rotation. And just, they were, they were 22nd against the pass last year. They need more help. Uh, I, I think that, um, it'll be interesting. There are a ton of cornerbacks that I would love. I am not giving up on Gary and Conley just because he has not been charged. And I don't know what those things are. And when I heard Howie Roseman talk about Gary Conley, he was gushing as though he was a future pro bowler. Uh, there's a lot of cornerbacks in this draft that I, that I really like that I think could really help us. I think it's clearly our, our position of need. The only thing that I think is a wild card and I know they're not going to do it. I would love it if they took a safety, and I know you're going to say why. If they took a Buda Baker or if one of those safeties fell, I would love to be the first team in the NFL to run a three-safety set. I want McLeod, Malcolm Jenkins, and Buda Baker on the field at the same time. In an era where everyone's using running backs and tight ends and slot receivers, we already have seen someone like Malcolm Jenkins covering wide receivers. I'd love a Buda Baker where you put less pressure on the corners. You got three safeties out there. You could rotate them in. You'd have a lot of speed. You'd have a lot of tacklers. I just, I like to think differently. And I think that there's some special guys out there. I think it would be different, but I want corner or defensive end. But if, like you guys, if they took Christian McCaffrey, 
I'm watching hours of Christian McCaffrey YouTube and I'm getting really excited and he's going to be the replacement for Sproles eventually kick return, punt return, and he's our super weapon. And he would be the Tyree kill to Andy Reed to Doug Peterson. He would be that super stretch guy that could keep us on the field and it would be great. But I think we need defense really, really bad. And that's what I think we need in the end. And by the way, I'm nodding my head to your progressive uh, next level analysis of the 360 defense. So I, I don't know if it would work, but dope, you right? sell it well. You sell it well. All right. We had an entire second segment here about sports media, specifically the ESPN layoffs. And um, Adam, yeah. I wanted to get your thoughts on the Jim Nance, Phil Sims thing, because I know you have thoughts on that. But we'll save that for another show uh, since, of course, our first show, we went blew completely through our times. Uh, but that's OK. The draft's tomorrow night. So we're all good. Uh, let's wrap up quick, though. We want to do this every show with questions, uh, mostly tweets from listeners, although I guess no one had listened to this yet. They're just readers at this point, but now they're listeners. Uh, this is always fun. Let's go through a few of these uh, real quickly. Russ, I know you got to get out of here pretty soon. Got to go educate the youths. Uh, this is from Mr. Jersey Josh. Uh, we'll, we'll hit these quick. What percentage of Eagles fans would take a Super Bowl win if it meant one of the other teams, you don't get to pick which, leaving town? Uh, that is interesting. I will go 20%. I think tw- a good 20% of Eagles fans would not give a shit about anything else. If the Eagles got a Super Bowl, they would happily cut off the Flyers uh, or Sixers, even though they don't get to choose. Guys? I think I think it's a higher percentage. It's a much, much, much higher percentage. Like I'm going seventy percent because Come I on. think there are that. Yeah. Now listen, because it says of Eagles fans, it doesn't say of Philadelphia fans. And you have to you have to remember that there are so like uh, such a, a large portion of each fan base are specifically for one team and don't re- are like you know peripheral fans of the other teams that. Yeah, like, look, there might only be 25% of the Eagles fan base that's like a four-for-four four kind of situation or See, even I think it's is passionate about two teams. I think people in Philly so, care All right, more. so then, you know, but then then here, I'll be, I'll be nice. Let's say 55% because there are so many people that want to see a Super Bowl win and you've never seen one in this town and the last championship was 1960. So, yeah, like, there's there, we're going from hunger to obsession. Yeah, I, I think the percentage is higher yeah. for better I or wanna, worse. I want it to be low. This is a team leaving town. Yeah. This isn't a team. Usually this question is if a team never wins. Like if one of the other teams never won. But this is leave town. Man, I'll, I'll put it at 25, but I want it to be zero. Right. Because I thought, of, just wait for a Super Bowl. It will happen eventually. We don't need it this year. I'm telling you, it will happen eventually. It has to, right? It has eventually to. Eventually it will. Please, Chicago Cubs. <laughs> All right, I, then let's say that the percentage goes up if we include the Philadelphia Union who haven't won a game. Oh, then it's oh, yeah, like in the, in like Russ's name. All right, two, hold on, we got to move on. Wait, we got to move on. We got to move on. So I, I can get you to work. Uh, this is from Steven DeLuca. All right, this is, this is a good one. Proper way to watch a Star Wars movie is by episode number or release date. Uh, I, I have a very strong opinion on this. I think the first time you watch it, because this is how I did it, I didn't do them until college, yes. you start in the original order, four, five, six, one, two, three, now seven, eight, nine. But then after that, I think it makes way more sense to go from numerical one up through whatever, 58 by the time, uh, uh, within a couple of years, the way Disney's cranking them out. Adam? I I would agree with you. I watched Star Wars Last year, I had a week off, and I uh, I enjoyed myself. It was very – I man, that sounds like the nerdiest shit ever. But I'm just going to be real. Four, five, six, one, two, three, seven, eight, nine, and then 
I haven't gone back and done it the other way because I just ain't got time like that. But yeah, you got to do it the way you said. I only saw the original trilogy like two months ago, so uh, I'm just gonna defer. Fair, yeah, yeah. You're you're not I allowed. Like, you're like not allowed to have an opinion on that. In that case, there. Great answers. Great answers. Uh, from Muggsy Payton, what's your Mount Rushmore of hate the face? Uh, you guys have. Do you guys? I, I'll, I'll give you guys a sec to think because I actually wrote them down. Uh, two Fox guys right off the top, Chris Myers and Chris Rose. I, I don't think either of them are particularly bad at their jobs, but I cannot look at either of those guys on TV. I don't know why. Something about Chris Rose going back to the best damn days and then he's anchoring World Series coverage. I can't reconcile those two things. It's too, too fringe, too mainstream for me. Sidney Crosby's an obvious one. And my fourth one, uh, this is actually a hate the voice, and this is going to be super unpopular. Uh, John Kruk. I, he's fine on the broadcast. Wow. Everyone likes Kruk. I don't mind what he says. I think I, I cannot reconcile his voice, which is like this soft country bumpkin with the macho, burly image I have of Kruk in my head and, and his sort of like Westerner, West Virginian hick. Uh, appeal that he has. I can't reconcile his voice with that. And honest to, honest to God, I, I, can't, I have trouble listening to Phillies games with him. And I, I know that's unpopular. Uh, I got Paul Pierce, Eli Manning, Sidney Crosby, and Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz, politician. Can't stand his face. He looks like an anteater. It bothers me way too much. All right, hold on. Can you guys hear me? I'll just talk. I can't hear myself. Okay. The two guys that I can't handle right now with draft season, when they come on, I think they're miseducating people. I think they're not good at their jobs, and I think they're they are probably going to be let go eventually. Charlie Casterly for the NFL Network, who has the worst mock draft I've ever seen in my entire life with where he has people going, and Bill Polian, who on ESPN continues to just spew nonsense for the last few years and just not know what he's talking about. But it's okay because it's Bill Polian, and he guided teams 25 years ago, and it all makes sense. Those would be the two guys right now whose face I hate. All right, we have a few more here. I'll just do one more. Uh, I won't. There's a couple specific about the website and me. We'll save those for another show. I think they're interesting, but I won't take up everyone's time uh, with those. Let's go, Phillies freak. Uh, are sports media figures in this town most forty plus years old equipped to embrace a sports media landscape changing before their eyes? Uh, that is a loaded question. Uh, I'd be interested. I, I'll go in reverse order here. Russ, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on this because you are the resident, as Adam would like to point out, the, the resident media hater, even more so than me. Yes. No, they're not. Um, <laughs> they're, they're, they're just not. And, and that's okay. It's, it's, and, and you can look at it from like the global market perspective. Like There are people that have, have you know, blue-collar jobs that, that find themselves being you know outsourced or, or having their jobs automated and it's a hard thing to get used to and it's a hard thing to to deal with um i think for somebody that spent their entire career doing it one way um it's not the old dog new trick thing it's just how do you get used to these you know um blog sites and and just you know more of that 24-hour news cycle social media influence how do you wrap your head around that as somebody who's been in the business for for 20 25 years I don't know if you can, and it's not their fault. I don't necessarily blame them for maybe not wanting to change or being reluctant to change, but I don't necessarily think that all of them will. I think there will be some that, and there have been some that have, you know, done a good job of, of uh, kind of changing the way they do things. But no, 
now I, I I don't think that that the Philly market for those guys I don't think they're uh, they're equipped to handle the change. Adam, the problem is is that people are getting their news on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat. They're not going to the websites that that much anymore. I bet you a lot of people, Kyle, you're seeing having you're having to try and get them to direct back to the website. But websites and Google searches, even that's dying. And that was where everybody was going to a few years ago was search engine optimization and all that. Um, I think they're going to have to figure it out. Uh, they're going to have to cater a lot more to fans. They're going to have to deliver things when fans want them, not always when the 6 o'clock news starts, but at 2.30 when it happens or at 11 o'clock when they really sit down and watch. And to really make that change, um, I do think that you need some some younger people in some interesting positions just to kind of connect with younger generations and speak about similar topics. But then when it comes to distribution and marketing, they need to kind of go, we are more than just a TV show. We are more than just a radio show. We have to be an all-inclusive plan. And that takes a lot of freaking effort, and it takes a lot more people. And TV for a long time has pared down to make it as few people as possible. And you might have to spend money to make money. And I don't think it's just Philadelphia. I think it's a lot of markets, but I think Philadelphia, it's magnified because we've had the same people for so long. The only thing I'll always say whenever Russell says stuff, and because it's my first inclination too, is change is better. Change is not always better. Uh, a lot of times it's it's not as good. Uh, it's sometimes it's a little bit more watered down, but they need to make the right decisions, and we'll see if they do. Yeah, I, I agree with you, and I think it's a really smart point because it's not just about the shift to online, and I'm noticing this too. I, I had success in that realm, but to your point, it's no longer about websites. Social media, it's easy to say social media is a big deal now, but media is going yes. to social media, mm-hmm. and... The problem is it is very difficult to monetize. You have to monetize it on the on the fringes by by having events and and selling products. It's not just ad based. You can't be at the whim of Facebook and Twitter uh, for ad dollars. So I completely agree with you there. And to your point about everyone it being the same people in Philly, that has hurt Philly because it's a very old school town. Also, lately, there is absolutely nothing to talk about. That's not helping either. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a bad spot for the, for the whole industry. But Philly mainstream sports media is, is really up the creek at this point, I think, in, in all regards. TV, radio, newspaper, of course. Um, all right. So we missed a lot of topics. Uh, we went long on a few stuff. That's okay. It's our first few things. That's okay. It's our first show. Uh, we will promise to get the mic issues iron, ironed out uh, over the next coming episode. So sorry about that. There may have been some rough edits in here. Um, thanks for listening. As always, we welcome comments, feedback, and of course, questions. We'll get to more at the end of each show. If you haven't already, subscribe in iTunes, Google Play, or your podcast player of choice. And again, be sure to leave us a five-star review. It does help with the rankings. See you guys on Friday to talk about the draft. Chatting on the interweb Maggots prey upon the living dead I had no interest in the things she said